0: Hello and welcome to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast where we talk about two movies randomly selected from a list of over 1,700. We're looking at horror films, action movies, exploitation movies. We're looking at both horror movies today. We're brought to you by the Grandma Sophia's Podcast Network, so be sure to check out the Grandma Sophia's Cookies blog for all things DIY, NYC, and all your music and pop culture needs. And I'm your host, Patrick, and I'm joined once again by a special guest.
1: Handsome young Dilf, Joshua Ramos.
0: Yep, Josh, you were our first repeat guest. You are now our first three-time guest. This is the first time we've had you on, and we're not talking about a Halloween film.
1: And I'm kind of excited to not talk about a Halloween film as well.
0: (laughs) Well, you don't like Halloween 3, too, so, uh, you know.
1: Halloween 3 is barely a Halloween movie. We've talked about that. I
0: mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's its own thing, but... Instead, the movies we're talking about this time are Deep Red from director Dario Argento, 1975 film, which, at least when we're recording this, is available on Shudder. I feel like it's been on Shudder for a long time, so hopefully that doesn't change. And then we're talking about Saw Two, which I think as of when we're recording this is on HBO Max, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, so, Josh, this is your first time seeing Deep Red, I believe. Had you seen Saw Two before? I had
1: seen Saw too, probably when it first came out in two thousand five or maybe I caught it on TV or VHS or DVD I guess in two thousand six. Yeah, but I was gonna had, think
0: VHS is kind of gone. By it, now. it had
1: been a long time since I had seen it, but it held up. I guess sort of. I enjoyed the watch, but we'll get into that.
0: Yeah, I um are you, are you a fan of the Saw series? I guess I I wasn't a hundred percent sure, but I I feel like. In, it, I, when it, I reach out to you, I'm like, you've at least seen the first movie. I feel like anyone who knows anything about horror movies has at least seen the first movie. Whether I really liked, it, I know. really liked
1: Saw. The later ones, they were like fine. I watched like I think the first, maybe three or four. Definitely the first three. Probably the fourth one. I kind of stopped. But I did go see the Book of Spiral this year.
0: Oh yeah, Spiral from the Book of Saw. One of the weirdest film titles ever. But not a half bad movie. I, I, um, I didn't know what to expect from that, but it did not let me down. I think that's probably the third best Saw movie, which you'd argue is not saying that much because most of the Saw movies are terrible. But they, but they've, at least for me, always been an enjoyable terrible. Like, I, I like the Saw movies even when they're bad. But the book is a uh, book is or spiral from the book of Saw. I, I don't think I even would say is bad. You know, no, it's not it's, perfect.
1: It's, it's not a bad movie. It's not in my top 25 of the year or last year, I guess, but that just goes to see. <laughs> it C- probably
0: is for me cuz I didn't see too many movies. <laughs> it's like, okay, West Side Story, No Time to Die, Godzilla vs. Kong,
1: Dune. I it? I
0: liked it I liked it more than Halloween Kills, you know. Halloween K- I mean
1: Halloween Kills is a it's a hot mess.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are already talking about Halloween movies again.
1: <laughs> it's hard not to.
0: Let's start with Deep Red, which is not a Halloween film, but
1: it's a Christmas film. Yes,
0: sort of vaguely in one scene. <laughs> and that is the opening scene, so it's perfect. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of discussion every, you know, we're recording this in January. The episode's going to come out later than this. So so we just kind of had the Christmas season. And I don't know about you, but I w- tried to watch Decent amount of Christmas horror movies, you know, Silent Night, Deadly Night, Gremlins, obviously I saw Gremlins, Krampus. I think this might have been the only three I watched this year, but there's that, you know, that debate. What's the best Christmas horror film? Like, you know, a lot of people like Gremlins, Krampus is kind of a new cult classic, and then there's just the, you know, Christmas Evil is like this really weird, awesome movie, and then Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2 is one of the worst movies ever made, but it's hilarious. And you know what? Deep Red is the best Christmas horror movie. It's not the most Christmas by any means, but it is better than any other movie that I would consider a Christmas horror movie, including Black Christmas. But it's not really a Christmas horror movie, though, at the same time. But I want this to be considered a Christmas horror movie.
1: For our purposes, we will include it.
0: The movie begins with... There's a scene at Christmas. We see the Christmas tree in the background. There's this children's song, children's melody playing. And then just kind of like, and then kind of immediately it just, there's a scream and someone falls to the ground dead and a kid steps by to like, look what's going on. And then we just cut to the main theme song of the movie. And it's such a weird off-putting opening scene. It's just like, we're not wasting any time, but we're also, you know, watching this movie as we continue with this movie, it, it 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 takes a while for this for it to even become clear where this why this scene is important. It seems it seems in the moment it seems incredibly random. You know
1: what I mean? It takes more than a while. I think it takes until the last ten minutes of the film. <laughs> For it to make any well, sense. No, I
0: mean it's not the last ten minutes. Definitely the last half though. I would say when he finds the false or the not the false room, the the walled oh, yes. in room. the house, because that because then you see the Christmas tree. But but that's the last half hour of the movie, for sure.
1: It's a lot of it's a lot of build up and vibe building.
0: Yes. <laughs> and of course, this is an Italian horror movie, so we're dealing with a couple things here. We're dealing with a lot of violence. Which it's not as violent, as graphic as The House by the Cemetery, another Italian horror movie that you and I covered together. One of the worst films it's, ever. <laughs> it's a bit of a stretch, but, <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah um, Deep Red isn't that violent, but there's not, I, in terms of the amount of violence, the graphic violence and stuff, I don't think there's a huge difference between Fulci, who did House by the Cemetery, and Zombie, and Argento who do this in Suspiria which I covered on this podcast as well. Classic. I think it's all about everything around the violence. And I think a lot of plots that this is what I was going to say when I said, you know, we're talking about Italian movies, the plots are kind of not super important in a lot of these movies. They're not always clear. We kind of had that with House by the Cemetery. You have that with Suspiria, which is a masterpiece. This movie is one of the most clear, clearly plotted Argento movies that I can recall. I mean, Argento can make a good movie, even if you don't know what the hell is going on. But you kind of know what the hell is going on here a little bit. You know enough. There is a a story and and it works. But like, again, Argento, beautiful cinematography. That's like a guarantee for these classic Italian horror movies, whether it's Mario Bava, Dario Argento sergio martino whoever directing and it's, it's everything's really it's this is a Jalo movie so it's like really stylistic and some the way it's sh- the, the way he shoots certain things is just really out there but like awesome and I, I for me anyways i just can't take my eyes off the screen when this when this movie's going on even when there's really weird stuff or really violent stuff you
1: know yeah definitely feel that and you're right about you can know what's going on even though it's a subtitles movie. I'm sure if you do it on mute and just watch what's happening, the vibe you, is there. You watch
0: you watch the subtitles version because I watched the dubbed version.
1: Uh, I watched the I did not watch the dubbed version.
0: Okay, interesting. So I'm curious if 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 the language is the only difference or if there's maybe a, a little bit of a different cut with the Italian version versus the English version. Oh wow! But hey, maybe we'll maybe we'll find that out as we discuss this because. Just the last episode I recorded with um, Jim, where we talked about King Kong versus Godzilla. This is exactly the same thing. He saw the he saw the subtitle, or he saw the dub version. I saw the subtitled version, and we ended up with very different movies in a lot of ways. I'm curious if that's the case here, but
1: all right, let's find out.
0: <laughs> but so far, we're we're on track here. It sounds like yep. So the theme song, the score, is by the band Goblin who also did the score for Suspiria, which is one of the best horror scores ever. They also did the score for Dawn of the Dead, the George A. Romero movie. Beautiful music, really kind of funky at times. The, the theme song is great. It gets me pumped. The song that they play when the main character is searching that like haunted house place is like a really kind of awesome, funky, like George Clinton kind of music. <laughs> and, and I'm really into that. I, I love this score.
1: Yeah, it was very, it was very out there. Uh, I was trying to think of a genre to classify it as, and I couldn't even do that.
0: I, I've always heard Goblin described as a prog rock band. Okay. okay. And I'm not super familiar with prog rock. Like, I love Pink Floyd. They're one of my favorite bands ever. And they're considered progressive rock by a lot of people. But if you listen to Pink Floyd and you listen to other bands like Rush... That are described as prog rock. It's like there, there's no similarities Isn't, between them. There. So, yeah, so not. I don't I don't think Pink Floyd is probably the best representation of prog rock. I would consider them more art rock. But you know, maybe that's just me being a nitpicker. I don't know. I, I, I'm not that into prog rock, so I couldn't tell you.
1: A... I don't know if I'm into prog rock, but I, I I love Rush. But I don't know if I'm into prog rock. Do you? I mean, Rushes okay. got bangers. I think it's just like that guy's voice is just super interesting.
0: Yeah, it is Getty Lee. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed when I when I lived in Canada. I enjoyed um, every now and then watching a Blue Jays game, and you're guaranteed to see Getty Lee behind home plate every single game because <laughs> he's like a season ticket holder. I thought that was kind of neat.
1: I Love that energy from him.
0: He's the Jack Nicholson of the Toronto Blue Jays. Jack Nicholson probably doesn't even go to Laker games anymore, does he? He's like it's
1: been a while. I haven't seen him on the on the TV. <laughs> He's old. Well,
0: he's got to be re- like retired, right? I yeah. don't think he's been in a movie. I don't think a while. he's
1: doing anything. He's, he's old. He looks older than he is, type of odd. He's washed. He is washed,
0: just like Russell Westbrook. Speaking of the his, Lakers. his
1: last good movie was like 2006 Departed. I'm pretty sure. Okay, I
0: was I was worried you were going to say anger management for a second for some no, reason. I forgot I mean, about the Departed. <laughs> yeah. I
1: mean, you're Man <laughs> like... Same same era, eh, like for... yeah, exactly
0: the latter day Jack Nicholson. About Schmidt, great one. I'm a big fan of that movie.
1: I don't know if i have ever seen About Schmidt.
0: Two thousand two, it's an Alexander Payne movie. I love me a depressing comedy. Those are that's one of my favorite genres of films: comedies that make you feel like shit. Well, you know, I'm thinking like Sideways. Some people call Eternal Sunshine a comedy. I've never really seen it as that, but you know maybe eternal sunshine fits into this genre that i'm talking about
1: i don't know i don't know but uh shout out to dj ryan out in long island because that's like his favorite movie for some reason
0: oh oh yeah i when you say yeah that's his name when you said dj i was picturing like a dj for some reason yeah no that is his favorite movie
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> i was i was picturing like a <coughs> like an actual dj <laughs> he is a musician though
1: he is he is Though well, I've never heard him play, so who really knows? Yeah, he might suck. Who, yeah, knows? who knows?
0: Anyways, you want to get back to Deep Red and the European Congress on Parapsychology, which is where the film picks up after the credits. That was a question. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when the okay. band, when
1: the band is jamming, huh? The jamming band.
0: Oh, like after after the credits. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah.
1: That was yes, awesome. I love I love that that uh that dive right in. The American jazz. And I was like, Are these people playing jazz? And then they were like, We have to play it like jazz. They immediately said it.
0: I don't know what you're talking about. I think we're talking about a different scene here.
1: We're talking about when they're at the college and the band's jamming and they sang play trashy and then they switched the conference and they not have the, the jazz band scene. I don't
0: remember it. I saw this movie a few days ago. But you're saying it was like a really brief scene?
1: Yeah, it was very, very brief. It was very it, I'm
0: assuming with the main character because he's a musician. Yeah, because he's, gen- he's a jazz musician. Gen-
1: gen- yeah.
0: Okay, I, I don't remember that. I thought it goes right to the conference after the credits. I could be wrong. I don't know. Anyways,
1: this is... It's a forgettable scene. It's
0: <laughs> well, okay, It's also possible, and this is I'm just theorizing here, but Dario Argento made another movie with David Hemmings in it where he played a musician. And I'm thinking was was what you're talking about, a recycled scene potentially. But I think he played the drums in that movie, but I, I don't remember. Anyways, the European Conference on Parapsychology, we open up. It's in this like grand opera house, beautiful red building, red like amphitheater area. And we have these three people on the stage and... <laughs> it's kind of we like jump right into it we get um this this woman Hel it's Helga right Helga Ullman.
1: I don't know what the hell is I think so Helga yeah
0: she's like german or austrian or something and she's like she's like a mind reader and she's like going to give this like a demonstration
1: it was a strange strange thing to see happening on a college campus
0: yeah so well yeah that's the thing it's like okay we're at this like your conference and you think like, okay, so people are going to be sharing academic papers and stuff. And then you just get this like circus act up there. You know, it's, it's a little weird.
1: She was being attacked by a perverse murderous mind. I think is what she said.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause at first she, she displays that her powers are legitimate because she's able to close her eyes and pick out someone in the crowd and then know what he has in his pockets and stuff like that. And they confirmed that she's never spoken to that guy before. And then she starts screaming, because she sees in her mind that someone in this room has murdered before. Then we have this POV, I guess, of the killer, the person in this crowd, is getting up and leaving, and then that's kind of that. And then af- sometime after this conference, Helga Ullman is leaving with, the, with her professor friend and again, we get POV camera and we just like following her, watching her. And it's really kind of creepy. You know, we, we talked about the POV camera you and I did in Halloween. This is kind of similar to that. And of course, we've got at this point, we've got the black gloves, which is a jello staple thing,
1: you know, for the killer. Very Halloween-esque. And it would come back later on.
0: POV camera is, it's a super convenient tool for any murder mystery right (laughs) because it's it's how to show a murder happening without showing us who the murder is but there's also something handled really well whether it's by a a john carpenter or a dario argento or a um michael powell with peeping tom it can be just like genuinely disturbing too because you because you're seeing things through the eye of the killer and and a really a powerful director can use that in, in just kind of ways that just mess with you. And I think that's kind of what's going on here.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, disturbing is a good way to put so many things that happened in this flick.
0: So Helga Ullman is at home. She lives in an apartment building. She's on the phone, and she starts growing uneasy, and we see that that's, I mean, someone has snuck into her, apartment building or her apartment, I should say. Meanwhile, outside, we meet our main character and his name is Marcus or they call him Mark throughout the movie. He's played by David Hemmings, British film star, eventual television and film director. I know he directed some episodes of Quantum Leap. (laughs) He directed a movie or two that I saw that kind of sucked. And he's also the star of the most boring film ever made michelangelo antonioni's blow-up which i've referenced on this podcast multiple times it's a great movie but genuinely the most fucking dull thing you will ever (laughs) sit through no one who's like not a film student should ever watch that movie and i'm not a film student so i don't know why i have watched that movie but yeah david hemmings here and he's speaking with his friend carlo who's a drunk and he's just like sitting outside and this is a little bit of a weird scene i found it kind of distracting Because in the background, there's, like, this bar, this, like, corner bar with, like, glass, all windows everywhere. Called Blue Bar. Oh, is that the name of it? Yeah. But, yeah, they're clearly trying to recreate the um, painting. I think it's Edward Hopper. Yeah, the the Chicago
1: painting. Is it Chicago? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's.
0: I don't know if it's supposed to be in. I mean, it's. It's at the Art Institute of Chicago. I know that. I don't know if, if the painting is supposed to be in Chicago. I think it's Edward Hopper. It's somebody like that. It's a name like that. Such a and learned
1: man you are, truly.
0: I mean, who doesn't know Edward Hopper? But
1: but yeah, it's it is clearly mimicking that. It's definitely yeah, mimicking. it's clearly
0: doing that, and I don't really know why, other than it looks kind of neat, but it, it's kind of distracting after a while. And then I found myself like looking in the background because there's only a handful of people sitting in that bar and they are so still. They move a little bit. It's not like it's just like a matte painting or anything, but they were like distractingly still. And I found myself watching this movie, like focusing on them more than I should have been just because there was like something off about that. And there's a scene later on where I kind of felt the same thing about extras in the background and like what the hell is going on here why are the extras just not doing anything and it's really weird and i, do, I don't know the reason for it and i don't know if i even like it but anyways that's just my observation
1: i had the same observation i also noticed that too it was very strange it was strange i didn't really think about it till just now but now that you're mentioning it they were like fucking mannequins they weren't moving at all
0: yeah, it's almost like maybe you could say it's like dreamlike in a way, and maybe that's what Argento's going for. I don't know. I mean,
1: now that you're saying dreamlike, I mean, it's probably yes. This is also the scene also has like the most fucked up line in the movie.
0: Which which one is that? I mean,
1: it, it's when they're they're about to part ways, Carlo and Marcus, and they hear I guess Helga being she gets attacked at the same time, and they hear the scream. They both hear the scream. Oh yeah. They yeah, both yeah. look around. And they're like, surely you heard that scream. And he was like, maybe it's a rape. And then he's like, I toast to the, I drink to you, deflowered virgin. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, Carlo. Like, you sick bastard. You sick, sick bastard, Carlo. Well,
0: we learn later.
1: He's got a lot of trauma.
0: Carlo, yeah. Carlo's got a little bit more going on than it appears in this. Because at first it just looks like he's just a drunk. And we understand that both he and Marcus are musicians. Carlo has a line like, you know. mark 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 plays piano because he's an artist and he he plays that because he's good at it and he enjoys it and 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 carl is like me i play it for survival i play it out of desperation and like you you see him there and you kind of buy it like he looks like a desperate like just lost soul yeah yeah. and then later on you know we're we're, um there's there's some kind of interesting things going on with like uh gender and sexuality in this movie and in carlo's at the forefront of that later on i don't think i've given away too much there
1: no no i think you're right on track
0: yeah because that's introduced like in the first half of the movie still but anyways helga ullman is attacked in her apartment with a butcher's knife and they hear the scream and then eventually, she's kind of thrown through the glass, not, like, full through the window, but just, like, what? through the window enough to, like, get her neck caught on, like, the broken glass. And Mark looks up and sees that, and that's when he goes running in trying to do something.
1: He's a hero. I simply he would have called 911 if that. Or maybe I would have just ignored it.
0: Or whatever the Italian equivalent is. It's, it's like, a, it's a different number in each country, I think, pretty much, isn't it? So,
1: Oh, yeah. I, I, listen. I'm a Bronx boy. I don't think about, I don't call 911. Yeah, you don't call the cops. <laughs> yeah, he runs in, had no hesitation. He didn't even look to see if anyone else saw what was happening. Uh,
0: and, and it was kind of weird because at this point we don't under, we don't know that this is also his apartment building.
1: Yes. Yeah, so I didn't know that either. They explained this. That... <laughs>
0: because it, it looks like he just like gets in and is able to find the apartment really easily. We learned later he lives in the building and it's like, okay, so he would probably know which door that was. But, you know, in the moment, it's a fast paced scene and everything. And as he gets in, he goes down this like long hallway of like artwork and then finds this poor woman, pulls her off the glass. But, you know, it's too late. She's dead. Very dead. Then he looks out the window and he sees Carlo back in the street again, which Carlo had left, but he kind of wandered back. And he also sees someone in like a black trench coat, black like leather trench coat and fedora leaving the building.
1: Yes. Suspect number one for the audience. Right.
0: So then we have the cops in this scene, and the cops are talking to him and he's just you know, he's telling them everything that he knows about the situation. The cop is a bigot. Then,
1: uh, the cop is a, a bigot against musicians, he's a bigot against foreigners. Mark is clearly a suspect, and the cop is letting him know that.
0: Okay, yeah. And then in comes Daria Nicolotti. Dario gentle's wife, who's acting here as a photojournalist named Gianna. Yeah, and she just kind of shows up, starts taking pictures of everything. She takes pictures of the crime scene, pictures of Mark, and starts talking to them. And and right away, like she's got like kind of a weird energy. It feels she feels kind of comic
1: relief. She is, which... yeah. You need a little I, bit. I'm
0: kind of here for her after this violent disturbing scene we've just seen like okay we need some levity here
1: she's my favorite character
0: yeah I think she balances the movie a lot better than I remember her doing because I've seen this movie a number of times but she and uh Mark because they eventually start investigating this thing together not really going through the cops at all because that's just how jowl movies works work cops aren't always a big part of the investigative part it's it's always just like you're layman doing the work they have this kind of like buddy cop energy which i kind of appreciate because like mark is this kind of misogynist and and no, he's gianna's a he's like a piece this, of shit well yeah you know and then gianna's this liberated modern woman and
1: and she still throws him pussy bro <laughs> yeah. despite all the fucked up things he says about gender to her she still throws him pussy it's terrible there's, like, a, a 20 minutes timeline of them, like, just having this little back-and-forth interaction, and she's, like, calling him sensitive and bringing up his anxiety, and he's claustrophobic in the car because her car's all fucked up in the seat. They can't open the door, and it's like, he's, she's just, like, being a funny person, and he's just kind of a dick, and she still wants to bone. Like, she makes it, very, she's very straightforward, which I respect. This is the, the <laughs> 70s. She was, yeah. uh, she was ahead of the game with how straightforward she was. The arm wrestling match, like, like, what was that all about?
0: Oh, that scene's fun. Yeah. It's just, um it's just... it goes on for too long, but that scene's fun. Yeah, it is. like they, <laughs> It's like a five-minute scene. They really, they, they really
1: meander for a while with just them two interacting.
0: Oh, but before we get to that, there's another kind of wrinkle to this mystery, because eventually Mark goes back outside and talks to Carlo again, you know, because he had seen the killer, and he was kind of wondering, like, okay, Carlo, maybe you saw that person wander, but Carlo doesn't know what that was going on. Mark also describes that he, when he was entering the apartment, he noticed a painting, a distinct painting, that when he went back in there with the cops, wasn't there. And so he wants to know what the hell was up with that. And Carlo is telling him, you know, just forget about the whole thing. Like, you're, you're not making a lot of
1: sense. Yeah, Carlo goes into a great speech about truth, memory, and perspective. It's very, very deep stuff from a somewhat drunkard loser.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's the the drunken man's wisdom, right? You know, who among us hasn't had that great conversation at a bar with a dude that can barely stand who's just, like, <laughs> for, for no reason talking about really interesting stuff out of nowhere? It's like, yeah. Shout out to those drunk dudes everywhere. Especially in Rome. Especially in right? Rome. That's right? Where, that's where this movie takes place, right? Yeah, this is Rome. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, we see those, like, the scene with um, earlier with him and Carlo talking. They're by some, like, fountain. I don't know what it is. I don't know the name of it, but it's it's almost like a mini miniature Trevi fountain, and it's really neat. But yeah, I don't, I'm sure that's, that's a famous thing. I'm sure people who have been in Rome longer than I would know what that is. Because I have been, as I've mentioned on this podcast before, I was in Rome, and it was for an academic conference. And unfortunately, it was not the european congress on parapsychology because that would have been a lot of fun would have you know hated to have missed out on that but you know it was just on james joyce you know whatever
1: i would love to one day go to rome and stand where lizzie mcguire has stood incredible film by the way Lizzie, lizzie mcguire lizzie mcguire yeah hillary duff
0: no, I know. She, but what does she do in Rome? What's, what's the, Liz,
1: the Lizzie McGuire movie, they did a, a school oh. field trip, an eighth grade field trip to Rome, I believe it was. Eighth Listen, grade. I don't know this shit. Maybe school. It's a show
0: when I was younger. I, I didn't watch the show,
1: time. but I did watch the movie. Okay. I've never seen one episode of that show.
0: Interesting.
1: But, you know, when things come on, <laughs> TV movies, I'm always going to watch it. That's why I watched Sex in the City, the movie one and two, before I ever watched the show, because they. Big movie, big movie guy.
0: You're a big HBO guy, though, too. So
1: HBO is the greatest television production franchise of all time.
0: I mean, it is, but it's almost like not even fair just because they throw so much more budget behind anything than any other network has been willing to... To do, I I think the the more interesting thing is: has there ever been a show, a more impressive television production, just like an individual program, that's better than the best stuff on HBO? You know, whether it's The Sopranos or you know, I'm watching Deadwood; it's
1: great. I really want to watch Deadwood,
0: and I I think there's a few. I think Twin Peaks 2017, Twin Peaks: The Return on Showtime, I think competes with The Sopranos. You know, for just overall impressive artistic. Product and then, and then I it's like Breaking Bad is up there. I personally I enjoyed Breaking Bad better than The Sopranos. I wouldn't say it's better, but I enjoyed it more.
1: It's a different ride for sure. HBO is crazy because they'll have like right now there is a show that came out a month ago, all four episodes came out in December. It was Olivia Coleman, Oscar winner. Olivia Coleman, there's right. top three actresses in the game right now, and I'm pretty sure no one Along watched the show. Francis
0: McDormand and shout out to Macbeth. Um, who is, who's the, who's the third?
1: Um, what's this? Uh, Carrie Mulligan? Um, Amy Adams? I would say the lady from Viola
0: Davis. I think I would go Viola Davis. Maybe
1: Jody Comer. I don't yeah. even know who that is. She's in the last duel. Oh, she's, she's also in killing Eve. The last duel was so good. That's just, that's neither here nor there though. Go see it.
0: Which one, the uh, the last duel or the Olivia Coleman show? What's the What's the Olivia Coleman show? Dude, I don't. Know that's
1: I that's it. the landscapers. And okay, and the uh, the actor that plays with her is the guy that played David Thulewis. You know, oh, her...
0: David Thulewis, the guy from uh, the werewolf from the third Harry Potter. Yes, movie?
1: he is. He is Remus Lupin from Harry Potter. Yeah, he's also going to be in Avatar three.
0: I question the validity of any avatar sequel news at this point i don't know if we're ever getting the second one even but who knows
1: supposedly december of this year so we'll see the only reason i even think that it's actually coming out is because as of like i want to say two to three months ago on twitter we have starting to see people like starting to post avatar behind the scenes stuff and i feel like the studios are doing that thing that they did with The Sopranos where they started, like, talking about it a lot on social media. The next thing you know, they're rolling out a Sopranos movie type of thing. So the hype is starting oh, to build. Okay. They're starting to build. What Sopranos. did you think of
0: the Sopranos movie, by the way?
1: I thought that they should have made it into a miniseries and not a two-hour film and tried to rush a lot of things.
0: I was I was disappointed by it. I Because um, I had finished the show a few months before the movie came out. And I think at the end of the day, the show, the movie just didn't add anything. You know, it didn't really justify its own existence. It was really neat to see Gandolfini's son in that role, but I, I, I didn't really get a whole lot out of any of the thing. Plus, uh, Ray Liotta is ap- an absolutely terrifying human being to look at on screen nowadays.
1: Yeah, a lot of close-ups of his ass. A lot of close-ups. <laughs> yeah.
0: a, a dual role as two leathery corpses greatly
1: I feel bad for him, man, like... But
0: anyways, back to Deep Red. So we've got these two characters. This is Gianna and Mark. They go to the funeral for Helga Ullman, and they take note of the professor, uh, who was the guy that was sitting next to her at the on the stage at the um, conference, and then they eventually go and talk to him, and this is after the little comedic scene of they're in Gianna's car, which is this, you know, broken down tea, and, you know, it only one door opens. And then if you lock it from the inside, it won't be able to open or unlock. And it's a weird kind of fun scene. This movie is more comedic than I remembered it being, you know, it, 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 but I kind of like those comedy moments. They're mostly, they mostly, or maybe even exclusively come from Gianna, but I think they're fun.
1: They are fun. I liked her a lot, and she's kind of hot in a weird way.
0: Oh, I should also note that I wasn't... I mean, based on how Gianna's personality is is in this movie, you wouldn't think she's a murderer at all. You know, like, there's no reason to suspect her. But I will point this out in that before the murder, the, the murder of Helga Ullman, we see, a, like, an extreme close-up of someone putting, like, eyeshadow along their eyes. And I will say... Daria Nicolotti is wearing some relatively bold eyeliner. and I don't th- But I don't think they were, they were... I don't know if that was really supposed to be like a red herring even. I think that's almost more just a coincidence.
1: I would agree. I think it is a coincidence.
0: Because, yeah, because I don't think they're wanting to tell you that, you know, this Gianna could be a suspect. Nor do I think that... because technically the the cl- extreme close up of the eyeliner where we don't know who it is technically that could just be a random scene of Gianna before we've met her i don't think it's doing that though i think it's more just cuz the just to kind of blend into the shadows the killer you know
1: yeah they had like the weird scene with like the fucking baby doll head and it was so strange
0: yes marcus and gianna meet with professor giordani and they they talk about things and they eventually this this might be in a future meeting with them but eventually they get on the topic of oh well no uh, yeah no this is later i was thinking of like eventually they talk about children's music because that comes up later but no they're, they're first they're just like they're at the theater and they're just trying to figure out okay what's going on and professor professor giordani is there with some other professor guy who points out that like hey i seem to recall that when she was talking about someone here being a murderer that someone in the middle of the row got up and left And so they're thinking, okay, that's probably the murderer, right? But they don't really know anything else. So Professor Giordani doesn't, at this point, seem super helpful. He ends up being a big part of the movie later on. I don't know if you'd necessarily expect that here.
1: No, I did not see that coming at all. (laughs) At all.
0: So Mark eventually kind of tries to split with Gianna. This is after they have that arm wrestling scene. This is where we get a lot of the gender dynamics of, you know, she's... Like, oh, yeah, you're a big, strong man. You have to be this, like, you know, be all this macho, like, lone wolf type stuff. Because he wants to go on and do this investigation by himself. He doesn't want her with him. He says he
1: can't work with a, with a, you sh- he says either he can't work or you shouldn't work with liberated women.
0: There's also, we got to point this out, too, because this is important later. This is
1: after they fuck too. <laughs> it's crazy.
0: They did not fuck in my version. Wow. Uh, that is Wow. That is edited out of the American release, I guess. It's a hot, uh,
1: they don't show it, but it's like they're showing him and her dressing, like putting okay, clothes back maybe, on. Yeah, I guess. Okay, and, I thought... and she says she says to, like, before that she was talking about like I know how you could like you know lose your like your anxiety and like calm down. They do the cutscenes, and then she's he's putting his uh, clothes back on, or his shirt, buttoning his shirt up, or some shit, and she goes, "See, I told you, I knew how to calm you down, or something like that." Yeah, see,
0: I don't don't remember any lines
1: like that, so... um, Wow, wow. Interesting. They're taking out the sex. The American Puritans taking out the sex.
0: But not taking out the violence, fortunately, (laughs) because that's what you're here for in this movie. But, yeah, so, yeah, he wants to go out on his own and investigate this, and he wants to go and find Carlo, and he ends up speaking with Carlo's mother, who's this, like, old woman she's like really pale and kind of weird looking like almost looks like maybe it's old age makeup or something i I wasn't 100 percent sure what's going on there she's just kind of weird and she she, there's this i guess this is a bit of a comic relief scene too because she for some reason thinks he's an engineer and she keeps talking to him like oh you're an engineer and he's like no no actually i'm a pianist and she's like oh an engineer and a pianist you must be brilliant or something It's, it's just kind of a weird scene not the most important I guess you could say. But she eventually tells him, like, okay, Carlo is at this address. Go find him there. So he goes, and to his surprise, this is the home of, I don't know if it's a gay prostitute or just another gay man, but this is where Carlo has been hanging out. And Carlo is once again drunk, and this is where Mark discovers that he's gay. He didn't know that.
1: He claims he doesn't care. he, says he doesn't. Care.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which this This is, like, the one good thing about mark's personality i guess you could say (laughs) he's he's pretty accepting of the lgbt community just not accepting of liberated women i guess you could say
1: yeah i mean he's uh he's a dick
0: but again he's talking to her or he's talking to carlo about the he's bringing up the painting again and and carlo's like listen just forget it the painting's not important just let this let this thing go whoever did that is a crazy person like you don't want to get involved in that But meanwhile, while all this has happened, I should point out that, well, this is the other scene because this is when they're walking through, I don't know if it's a mall or something, but they're just like walking through this thing. And this is another scene where the extras were kind of distracting because they were just like standing in the background, not really doing anything. And I just thought it was weird. But this was also after the scene kind of ends, the camera zooms in on a television, which is... The news, they're describing the murder scene, and they're also saying that someone living in the same apartment building, an English musician, claims he can identify the killer. I'm not a journalist. I've never worked on television. I don't think this is how that works, because that seems like a perfect setup to get Marcus killed as well, right?
1: Uh, yes, you would never do that,
0: um... Uh, Which, I mean, going back to um, Gianna, also, the, the newspaper prints literally prints a photo of Mark with this story, and it's the photo that Gianna takes of him, and he says something about, like, Lord, are you trying to do, get me killed? And it's like, yeah, this is insane, you would not do this.
1: <laughs> yeah, but she's he's, she's... he's still beat for some reason. Can't get over it.
0: In this next scene, then, Mark is at his apartment, and he's composing music when he hears the same children's tune that we heard in the opening scene the Christmas scene and it's being played by the killer on a tape and he starts trying to transcribe the music he's trying to figure out what the notes are and he's trying to figure out what the song is but he also knows that you know someone has snuck into his apartment so he's like getting ready he's got this I think it's like a statue or like a big candlestick he's like ready to fight back and then the phone rings and he goes, answers the phone and shuts the door really quickly, the door to his piano room. And on the phone is Gianna. And so he's talking to Gianna and he's saying like, hey, listen, I need help. There's someone in my apartment. And then on the other end of that door, you hear this voice just saying, you know, like, oh, you've, you've, something along the lines of you've survived this time, but I'll kill you sooner or later or something. Very, uh, I'll get you gadget next time kind of thing.
1: Wow. Yes. Yes, that's a nice little Inspector Gadget reference. Shout out to Matthew <laughs> yeah. Matthew Broderick who murdered a woman.
0: Well, he murdered two women, oh. and we don't know if it was murdered or it could have been an act of terror, which I guess would be murder still. So, but it's a lot going on with that case.
1: That was a that was a good scene though. Uh, just playing the piano. Someone breaks into your apartment. He's quick. He was slow to move at first.
0: Well, <laughs> yeah, and and that's. He is slow to move, and th- I like this scene because it's so deliberate, and it it really takes its time and lets you linger on every sound, whether it's him on the piano or whether it's the children's music or any kind of creaking as the killer walks around. I I, I really love that. It's it's like a quiet scene, but then it, I just love like the way it's shot. It's like so super suspenseful, and then obviously we still never see the killer. It's admittedly kind of weird how the scene wraps up, but overall, I still enjoyed it.
1: The hype is starting to build now. I was getting into it a lot. We've moved away from the strange buddy cop sexual dalliance.
0: And this is where Giordani becomes a bigger part of the movie because Mark goes out and buys a record, a children's music record, and finds the song and he shares it with Professor Giordani and his other professor buddy, whose name I don't think I wrote down. And they're thinking about it. And and someone supposes that, you know, maybe the the idea was the the, whoever committed these murders, they talk about like anyone who commits a murder is temporarily insane, basically, is what they're saying, which is not that's not what you know, that's not true, psychologically (laughs) speaking, or legally speaking. It's not. But I I think in, in the implication here is that in these kinds of murders, these kinds of really, really out there, horrifically violent murders, butcher's knives and stuff like that. Like, okay, maybe that's the idea. But, and and they think that, okay, the killer is probably a perfectly normal person by day. And in order to like commit these kinds of murders to, to kill Helga Ullman to cover their tracks or to kill Marcus to cover their tracks, they have to kind of recreate the circumstances of their first murder of that first time they snapped. And I think that's a really interesting idea, actually. Again, not psychologically, uh, not not something you'll read about in, in in psychology textbooks, but it's a neat idea for a movie, I think. And um, and and now it's it's starting to, the music is starting to come into play a little bit, and we're we kind of understand what's going on here. This is still a lot of pieces are still loose at this point, but it's it's starting to come together.
1: This is when it all starts to come together. Although this
0: is also a bit when it kind of goes off the rails a bit, too. Because I I would say this is where the professor mentions the haunted house. And this scene, admittedly, just like, it kind of comes out of nowhere. But he mentions, like, there's an old urban legend of this haunted house in Rome where people can still hear singing at night. From these ghosts and he's like oh i think this there's this book i recall reading it's about folklore and and you know go check it out it's it's by amanda regetti who's i'd just like to point out that's that's the name of the author in this movie it's also the name of an actress from the friday the 13th remake um shout out to her i think she's the final girl i could be wrong that movie kind of has two final girls so to speak it kind of has two main characters but so he goes to this archive and looks at this book and finds the the Story of the screaming or of the singing ghosts in the haunted house, and he just like rips out the picture of the house and he takes it and he's he's trying to track down the house. Meanwhile, Amanda Righetti, the author, who lives in a house that's kind of in the middle of nowhere, and she finds herself stalked by the killer. And at this point, I will just say, I have no idea how the killer knows to track down her.
1: Uh, same. I didn't really understand that connection.
0: I don't think the killer could have overheard the scene with Giordani. So I don't think the killer is anywhere nearby. And then the scene where Mark is calling Gianna and telling her about the book and about how he wants to find out where she is, is very pointedly in a very busy and loud coffee shop, which is another comedy scene. It's like both of them are having trouble hearing each other. So even if the killer is there, I don't think the killer is taking that information. So yeah, I don't know how the killer finds out about Amanda Rigetti, but I'm glad the killer does because this is an incredible scene. We get lights out. Amanda Rigetti has a couple of birds, which uh, as she kind of freaks out, she knocks over a, a, one of the bird cages and she arms herself with a knitting needle, not unlike Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween. She, she's just like got it out, like ready to stab whoever comes by. And then boom, the bird <laughs> flies right into it and the bird gets stabbed and killed. And it's amazing. And for a moment, there's brief... House by the Cemetery flashbacks with the, uh, you know, with the st- stabbing of the bat, except this is a lot briefer and less excessive than that scene was, of course. More tastefully done.
1: It was tastefully done, the killing of the bird, the stabbing of the bat. We well, get another animal killing later in the movie that I think is real, though. House and Cemetery Drive, stabbing of the bat, one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen. <laughs> the scene just goes on forever. Forever and ever and ever. It was literally minutes long
0: it's still burned into my brain but anyways this killer attacks amanda ragetti smashes her into the wall a few times and then puts the hot water on in the tub and basically scalds her to death it's kind of amazing and as the killer is leaving we see amanda has just a little bit of life left in her and she's trying to write on the tile wall something with it because the there's been so much hot water that there's steam everywhere and okay you can write on the steam but then the window kind of opens and, and then the the steam goes away so whatever she wrote we don't see it you know really really interesting really well well done that scene frightening weird we get we get the um puppet on, with the noose which is always creepy
1: puppet with the noose was creepy
0: yeah we get a lot of we puppets in both our movies tonight a lot of a lot of puppet mayhem. Meanwhile, Mark finds the house. He, he's trying to investigate it. He has to like go th- because it's like this house that's for sale. So I guess he goes through the real estate agent who like lives nearby. But meanwhile, he also goes to Amanda Raggedy's house, finds her dead, and then inexplicably doesn't tell the cops and just tells Professor Giordani about it. And they're talking and Giordani's like, oh, the cops have probably found the body by now, right? And I'm thinking like, what? He hasn't told anyone but you. So that was weird. Um, so as Mark goes and investigates the house, Giordani goes and investigates the the murder of Amanda O'Gretti, which at this point, the body is gone. But after he goes into the bathroom, and after he runs some hot water for a bit, he notices that things kind of steam up a bit. And he notices... Well, I think it was the way Mar- Mark described that he saw the body as if she was like pointing to the wall. It looked very unnatural, and so he ends up running all the hot water he can to try and see what she wrote, and it just says it was. So, so we don't get a name, but <laughs> we get. <laughs> I like this. I like this stuff a lot. And
1: I wonder how would she have known? I don't think she knew who the killer was in real life. Did she?
0: Yeah, that's. A, was that's there? A what fair... was there? What was their connection? there wasn't that's a fair question other than yeah i yeah i don't know because you could say well because the house where things are taking place like okay that you know the murder house the haunted house that's a local house and and the killer at one point lived there we learn eventually maybe amanda regetti was from the area and would have known that i don't know you know i'm just thinking you're right i don't think that's completely explained
1: I love that we can just come together and and uh, poke some holes in this flick.
0: Well, yeah, you know, but I will say, as far as Italian mystery, jello, horror movies go, this is one of the easier-to-follow plots out there. They get a lot weirder, and they get make a lot less sense if you go in certain directions. So I, I overall, this movie's great, but it's a little out there. And um, so Marcus is investigating the house, He finds behind some paint that there's a children's illustration of, like, a murder. Like, and we can see that it bears resemblance to the opening scene. There's a child holding a bloody knife with a dead body on the ground, and then there's a Christmas tree.
1: It all starts coming together now.
0: Yes. And then so he goes home, and then he, he talks to Gianna, and he... No, no, he doesn't talk to Gianna. He ends up leaving a note for Gianna. He tries to talk to Carlo again. And ends up speaking on the phone with Carlo's mother. And while he's on the phone with Carlo's mother, he realizes looking back at the photograph of the, you know, the photograph of the haunted house that he took from the book, that there's like a room in the photograph that he couldn't see in the actual house. So he goes back there and he leaves the note for Gianna of where he is and he goes goes to that haunted house and he finds there is a walled-in room that can only be accessed by breaking through the outside wall on the second floor, which he, you know, he brings his trusty pickaxe, of course.
1: Who doesn't have one of those?
0: And then he he gets into this house and then he breaks through some more walls and eventually we see the, the murder room, the room from the opening scene. We see the Christmas tree. We see it set up just as it was, except there's a dead body, or like a skeleton, and, you know, it's decayed, just sitting in a chair. And it's really creepy stuff, and, you know, it's dark. He's using his flashlight, so it's, you know, really atmospheric. And then he gets knocked out. He gets hit on the back of the head, and he wakes up outside with Gianna. The house is on fire, so Gianna had saved him, and Gianna says that, I went to your place, I saw your note I got here. It looks like I got here just in time like the house was about to burn down and you were in it. I saved your life. And you're thinking, "Okay, yeah, no, she she's way better than him. Yeah. Way more competent. Just if she had all these clues that he had, she would have solved it by now, probably.
1: She's way much better at him at doing what she's supposed to be doing and I feel like there are probably fools out there that when she saves him, they're starting to think, why was she there? She must be a suspect. And it still never crossed my mind one time.
0: In this case, no, because he did leave the note for her. There. I think him him leaving the note for her is also probably how the killer ended ended up knowing he was there, because the killer also knows where he lives, because the killer had been in his apartment, so the killer probably saw that note, so you can maybe question the validity of leaving that note there. Maybe a phone call would have been better. Who knows? (laughs) You know? But at any rate, they are back, they're trying to get a hold of the police, and they're back with the, the real estate guy and his creepy daughter, who earlier, the daughter... Like, put a n- needle through a lizard. really weird scene. I think that was a real lizard, too, so it's very, very unfortunate. But so yeah, so she's she's a she's a creep. And as they're talking to the the cops, Mark notices a drawing in her bedroom that's remarkably similar to the drawing that he found in the house. And he's like, "How could you have done this? Like I, I you know, you you didn't do this. I've seen this somewhere else. Where did you see it? And she says, she saw it. Because one time she got in trouble at her school and she had to clean out the archives and this was in the archives of that school and they find out that the school is nearby so they head there and they break into the school and they get to the archives looking for this drawing, hoping to find a name for it. But at this point, Gianna wanders off to go call the police. Marcus finds the drawing, sees the name, and knows what's going on but then realizes that he... He doesn't know where Gianna is, so he looks for her. He, he finds her. She's been stabbed. She's still alive, but she's been stabbed. She's on the ground now, and she says to him, like, do you know who, who it is? And he's like, yes, I know. I saw the name. And then we have this little bit of a cat and mouse walking through this, like, old abandoned school until eventually he's just like, listen up. I know who you are. There's no use hiding. And then we see that the, the, the uh, killer is Carlo, and Carlo potentially not drunk in this scene we don't really know is pointing the gun at his good buddy and he says like listen I'm sorry I don't want to do this because you are my friend I like you but I told you to just leave all this alone why didn't you listen to me and he's like almost breaking down but he's ready to kill him but then the cops burst in and scare him off and chase him off and then this scene is weird it's this scene is insane and I have kind of mixed feelings about the scene part of me loves it part of me hates it but Carlo gets into the road, gets hit by like a street sweeper, and then kind of stumbles to the side, and then gets his leg caught on like a hook hanging from the end of the street sweeper. I don't know. Let's walk me through this. Your thoughts on this scene, Josh? What what, what are you
1: thinking going on? I think, <laughs> I think it was just... it was chaos the way that they decided to oh, yeah. take this man out and the way that it ends. It's almost his head. like
0: comedic. Because it goes on for so long, it's so excessive, it's so violent, because you're right, it it would have been one thing if he just got hit by the car, you know, they could have done a final destination kind of thing, just run over by the street sweeper, but no, he gets caught on the end, and he gets dragged, like, a mile, he's hitting his head on the curb, you know, he's, like, all this, and you think, like, oh, Jesus, and then eventually... (laughs) The truck stops at an intersection, and then a car just runs over his fucking face. It's amazing. It's amazing, and it's horrific, and it's violent, and it's... I don't know if it's meant to be, but to me, it's funny.
1: It is funny. I think it was supposed to be funny. I think it might
0: be supposed to be funny, but, but it's a weird tonal shift for them. If it is supposed to be humor, it's, it's weird for them to go for that here. In what we think is the climax, we learn soon enough it's not the real climax. But I think, you know, it, 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 the movie kind of throws you for a loop here. If the movie just ended here and, you know, this was the resolution because Carlo was the murderer, I think this would be really weird and, and kind of um, uh, an unsatisfying ending. But I think because what we get after this is so awesome, it, it's pretty, it, you know, it's satisfying still. So what happens after this is Mark learns that Jana is okay. She's in the hospital, but she's going to be all right. And then as he's walking home, he's in that same stretch of road where he had spoken to Carlo before. He realizes, wait a second, Carlo, you couldn't have killed the German psychic, like you you were with me. Not sure why it took him
1: so long to realize that. Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah, it's kind of yeah, Uh, especially because it, you know, is because when he saw the person with the trench coat leaving the building, he saw Carlo there too. There were clearly two different people, but he's like, wait a second, it wasn't Carlo. And so he goes back into the house or into the apartment, takes down the police tape and gets in and is looking for that piece of artwork that he says is missing. And as he's looking at it, he realizes it wasn't a painting. It was a mirror. I saw a mirror and what I thought was missing, I thought it was a painting of a person, but no, it was a face I saw in the mirror. He's like, oh, my God, the killer was here when I got in here. And then he sees who the killer is. And then the killer shows up, and the killer is Carlo's mother. Who had their money on Carlo's mother? Anybody?
1: I didn't have my money on Carlo's mother, but when he was walking through the hallway originally and he sees, it was clearly a reflection. It was clearly a person there.
0: (laughs) Well, the first the first time I saw this movie, I don't think I noticed that. But I mean, now when I've seen it, you've seen the movie, I know what to look for. You know, so so it's interesting to hear the perspective of of you seeing it for the first time and noticing that. Um, because again, when I first saw it, I didn't see that. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's I think it's a nice twist. It's kind of an in plain sight kind of hidden twist uh, kind of thing. I I like it. I think it's well done. I I, I do think it, you know, your mileage may vary as to how well this works for you, how much your mind is blown by this twist ending. First time I saw it, I think it really got me. But like now I'm like, oh, yeah, I could see there's some clues here and there, but well, not really. And it's really just the one big clue. If you if you notice it in that one scene, then you kind of know there's not really clues after that as to the real identity of the killer. Yep. So Carlos mother speaks with him a bit. And then we see a flashback, but she's like, listen, Carlo never killed anybody. He was only like sticking up for me. And then we see the flashback to around Christmas. Carlo's mother is speaking with Carlo's father and Carlo's father's like, hey, listen, you've got to go back to the insane asylum. The doctor says you have to go to. And she's like, no, I'm not going. And he's like, oh, but you have to. And she's like, no. And then she just grabs the knife and stabs him in the back. And that's right in front of Carlo. Carlo picks up the knife, of course. And this is while Carlo was playing his children's record. And so that's why she has to play the children's music whenever she's about to kill anyone. But, like, I love how quickly we snap out of that flashback. Because, like, the second that flashback's done, she is swinging her butcher's knife at him. Like, it's, it's amazing. They don't waste any time. And this is where the two of them fight. And the fight eventually takes them out to the hallway where there's the elevator shaft. And... This is one of those, what do they call this? It's one of those elevators you'll see in old buildings because it's an elevator shaft that's, like, open. You know, it's not, it, it's got those, like, um, you can kind s- of gates. Yeah, you can, on you, walls. You know where they have
1: those in uh, the Lizzie McGuire movie in Rome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, there we go. I was going to say in Titanic.
1: It's also, I think that's just like a, They've, it's an old-timey thing. It's an old-timey thing. It's definitely, I feel like, still used in some places in Europe. It was in Casino Royale.
0: Oh, yeah, of course, memorably. Yeah. Definitely.
1: Definitely a European vibe. I don't think I've ever seen that in America anywhere. In my 28 years in New York and, uh, I think, five months in Boston, never encountered it.
0: We see in this scene why that's maybe a good thing because we can see how dangerous these things are <laughs> where she, um, she's kind of lunging at him and he, he avoids her, but then she gets her necklace caught in the gate at the side of the elevator. And she's caught and she can't get it out. And he notices what's going on. So he just like hits the button on the elevator really quick. And the elevator from above goes down and just decapitates her.
1: It was an awesome just kill. Just rips
0: the, the necklace clean through her neck. It's insane. It's incredibly violent.
1: Yeah, it was great. It was a great end kill. And it's awesome.
0: And then that's the end of the movie. This is kind of a trademark Dario Argento thing where there's really no fall in action. Pretty much once the movies are resolved, the movies end. We see this in Suspiria for sure. But the movie just ends with him looking down at this puddle of blood and you see his reflection. And then the thing comes up and says, you've been watching or you've been experiencing or whatever, Deep Red. And then we get that killer music again. So Josh, what did you think of Deep Red?
1: I enjoyed the film. I enjoyed it. You know, I enjoyed the talk about gender norms. I enjoyed the final crazy kill. It did meander a little bit. I don't really know why they made uh, Giordani such a big character. Uh, I enjoyed it. Oh,
0: you know what? I just realized I forgot to talk about Giordani Johnny's death. We skipped that scene. <laughs> it's the best scene of the movie. We have to talk about that. That's the puppet scene. We have to talk about this. Okay. <laughs>
1: Let's talk about it. I'm
0: sorry, sorry to take this from you, but Josh. So Giordani is in his home. He starts getting uneasy because he hears things and he looks. And there's, he's he's got like an opening out to the like uh to the balcony or something. And in in when the middle door is kind of open, and he's like looking there. And he's the music is hitting hard, and so you think something's coming through that door. And he's looking there, and no, something comes in through a door to the side of it, and it's this puppet this like automaton that's running at him and laughing and he takes it down and breaks it and and he's like okay that was weird and he kind of laughs like oh yeah i'm in control here and then from the other side from like the curtains the killer comes in takes him smashes his face and his mouth onto his desk oh yeah, and then disgusting really really violent and then stabs him with his own letter opener, which is a great shot, as the camera kind of follows the hand down, through the neck, holding the yeah, through the through the through the neck. It crazy stuff, o- amazing. One of the most memorable scenes of the movie for me. Also, we have to point it out because I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know where I heard this. I know I, I looked it up on Wikipedia, and it wasn't on Wikipedia. But I think it may have been covered in season one of Eli Roth's History of Horror. Either James Wan or Leigh Whannell, you know, the creators of Saw, cited Deep Red and that scene with the puppet as the inspiration for Billy the Puppet in the Saw movies. So there's a connection with Deep Red and Saw too, I guess.
1: Oh, wow, because I was wondering the connection, if there was one at all.
0: At any rate, Josh, back to your thoughts on Deep Red. I'm sorry about that.
1: Uh, It's a solid flick. Uh, I probably should have watched it dubbed. (laughs) <laughs> uh, that probably would have been a, a better experience for me uh, on that Sunday morning that I watched this, like, legit, like, 9 a.m., 10 a.m. The soundtrack was killer. I enjoyed oh, yeah. the the comedy aspects. It did meander a little bit. I did ask you, should I watch the two-hour and six-minute version or the one-hour and 44-minute version? Yeah, we watched
0: the 144 because that's what's on Shudder, I didn't even know there was a 2 hour 6 6
1: minute version. I assume I, I've, not, because that I found the 2 hour 6 version it was on Plex.
0: I it's interesting because I talked about this a tiny bit with um the house by the cemetery, I think. But there was this thing in the UK called video nasties and that was these were films that were censored in the united kingdom and there were different levels of them sometimes they were like they were able to be released in the uk but they had to cut some things sometimes it was like an outright banned film in the uk and they were pro- those these films are prosecuted i think that's what the house by the cemetery was in the uk could be wrong but it wouldn't be surprised if i'm not mistaken deep red was a video nasty but it cleared by cutting out just like 11 or 20 seconds like a like less than a minute and so sure it just cut cut out some scenes some shots here or there a couple frames of blood and gore and the film was able to be released so it's crazy to me that there's a two hour six minute version because that's far more than just scenes that were cut due to being too violent you know it's not like i've seen the tame version of deep red i've just seen a shorter version i guess
1: have you seen the one without the meandering?
0: You say the meandering. It's possible things are explained better in the longer version. It's possible we figure out why the killer goes to Amanda Rigetti's house. Nope. You know, with we, an extra we, 20 we, minutes we, of film. We
1: never did that. We didn't figure that out.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a few things kind of left unanswered in, in the film that we have at any rate. But overall, I, I do think it's an enjoyable experience. Agreed. I watched this movie around Halloween with my mother, and I'm pointing this out because my mom likes horror movies, but she likes specific kinds of horror movies. She is she likes her ghosts. She likes her, you know, exorcist stuff like conjuring the, the exorcist. She likes that kind of stuff. And she likes her serial killers, but she does not like her super violent serial killers. She doesn't like a super gory movie. For instance, like, she loves Halloween. Halloween's, like, the perfect movie for her because it's that slasher serial killer, but there's really not any blood. You know, it's not excessively violent. You know, Halloween Kills, on the other hand, not really the movie for her.
1: It's a lot of fucking blood.
0: Yeah, Halloween Kills is basically a Lucio Fulci movie released in 2021. Um, So I'm, I bring this up because, like, House by the Cemetery, I would never, ever show my mother because she wouldn't get anything out of that. She would hate it, and she would probably hate me and try to disown me if i showed that to her but i did try deep red with her and i'm like listen i know it's definitely more violent than she would like but it's like a classic murder mystery it's kind of hitchcocky and i think she still might enjoy it and she she really did so i so i do think i'm i'm encouraged by that because ordinarily i would say like okay if you know who i would recommend this movie to it's like okay you have to be able to stomach a lot of blood and gore and it's like well yeah but maybe like if you just like a good murder mystery i think this movie might work because the violence though excessive it's nothing like house by the cemetery it's not nearly as drawn out as that it's disturbing in parts but it's not like um I don't know. It's not Evil Dead 2. It's not like outrageously gory. It's just it's just very violent in in spurts and in moments here and there. But I think, again, like um, probably no one listening to to this podcast, but I know there are people out there that are like, yeah, I don't like a super violent movie, you know, and it's like, well, super violent movies, if they're if it's a well made film, if it's got a good direction, you know, it's the movies worth watching, even if you don't necessarily like all the violence in it. So that's what I got to say about Deep Red solid flick so uh would you like to start us off with saw 2 josh
1: saw 2 saw 2 what a film what a picture the first thing you see is a film by which is usually reserved for like auteurs and shit and that actually yeah
0: darren lynn bousman is is one of the least prolific filmmakers i've i can recall using this uh kind of thing yeah <laughs>
1: I, I literally laughed out loud when i saw that shit <laughs>
0: You know, Darren Lynn Bousman, I mean, he's, he's directed He directed Saw 2 and 3. He also directed Spiral from the Book of Saw. He also is, like, has been influential in, like, the haunted house, like, scare maze scene. Because for a while, he just, like, stopped doing movies and he just would make extreme haunted houses or something like that. So he's, he's an interesting career, that Darren Lynn Bousman.
1: <laughs> well, I would love to go to one of his haunted houses. I, I well, he's apparently
0: back into filmmaking now because he made the Chris Rock movie. So who knows if he's still doing that? But
1: yeah, then we have a Dorchester Zone where I'm sitting right now. Legend Donnie Wahlberg, very humble beginnings in Dorchester, Massachusetts.
0: The humble beginnings. He was a he was a like a child star with New Kids on the Block.
1: You know, like like name five New Kids on the Block songs.
0: I can't but it's just not that they weren't significant. I can't name one, but that's that's my problem. I can name it's one. I problem. can
1: name one and it's the they had a comeback album around 2008 or 2009 and there's a song they have with Neo that I believe Neo wrote and he featured on the song and it's a ridiculous song. It's ridiculous. Are, are you, do you know this song? Is that why you're laughing? No, no. no
0: it's just so funny to me that that Donny, that a 50 year old Donny Wahlberg, made a comeback album with the new new kids on the block, not the new senior citizens on the block. They, you know? they
1: still so, went by the new kids on the block when it came out.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, the the Beach Boys were going as the Beach Boys well into the 90s and stuff. You know, when they when they were very clearly old men too
1: after i noticed the uh, film by i i i re- i, for- I had forgotten that the saw movies the the film tone is just green like it's just green the entire time
0: <laughs> yeah i was actually thinking about this cuz um cuz that that was something spiral did not have that spiral no spiral did not have it <laughs> was visually very different from the other saw movies but like all the saw movies kind of blend together at least the first 6 or 7 of them do cuz they all have like a similar they all have the same grungy aesthetic. And after seeing Deep Red, which is this beautifully colorful movie, it's just such a weird, weird contrast, you know?
1: Grunge is a good way to put it because I feel like every single song is like a new metal grunge kind of thing in this movie. Industrial. <laughs> yeah, like, industrial. Quality. Yeah. Well, Charlie
0: clouser is doing the music for like all the Saw movies, I think. I think he's done the score for all of them. I don't know if he was a member of Nine Inch Nails or just a collaborator with Nine Inch Nails because I think Nine Inch Nails I think was mostly just that one guy. What's that guy's name? Trent Reznor. Trent Trent Reznor. Yeah, I think I think I was looking this up because I've never listened to Nine Inch Nails, so that's not my scene. But I was looking this up, and I think that's more a solo project than I thought it was, and it was more just like he collaborates with different people. It's almost like um like Gorillaz. Gorillaz is like it's Damon Albarn doing whatever the hell he wants, and he'll get whoever to play on this song. You know, that's kind of what it sounded like Nine Inch Nails was. I could be completely
1: wrong. No, you're 100% right. You're right. Nine Inch Nails was a solo project by Trent Reznor, until very recently he added that guy. Oh, really? Okay. He added that guy that he okay. does all the scores with, uh, Atticus Ross, and like... Yeah, Atticus Finch. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's uh now it's those two. But you're right uh on that. But uh we start off. We got a man who has what looks like a medieval torture device attached to his head. It's got nails or screws or some sharp things, and you know, its jigsaw pops up, and he's all like, you know. You're a fucking snitch. Uh, well, you, hey,
0: hang on. We got. I got to correct you. This is Billy. Billy, you're right. This you're right. right you're son. right. You're right. You're right. This
1: is Billy. The, Billy puppet. the puppet. Billy the puppet shows up and is like, "You're a snitch. You're a rat. You're unworthy." Yeah, he's <laughs> very
0: vague about what this guy has done. We don't really know what this guy did.
1: <laughs> and he's like, "There's a key somewhere. Clue. It's behind your eye, sicko. Can you get your cut your eye open? Get the key. Save your life. Will you do it?" This is Saw. We know that he does not. It's it's eye horror, it's freaky. There's something about eyes that I don't like. I whenever I see my roommate put her contacts in, just her touching her eye freaks me out. I cannot imagine of <laughs> someone cutting their eye open to retrieve a key out of their skull.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I got I got to say then you I'm glad we're not talking about another lucio Fulci movie then because i pointed out house by the cemetery is like the only horror movie i can recall where there isn't someone's eye getting like cut open but i also like the the shots when he when he takes his little scalpel to his eye it's very reminiscent of un quien Andalu, the um the spanish-french short film from 1929 from um what's that dude's name Uh, Some some influential Spanish filmmaker and artist can't think of his name right now, but because that that there's a famous scene in that. And this is again, this is crazy. This is 1929. There's someone just like, opens up their eye and like, cuts their eye open and it's like innovative, disgusting special effects for the 20s. But you're right, he doesn't open his eye and I, I and I will say that this is of all the Saw movies, of all the you know, all the traps that we've seen, this is probably the most relatable to me because I think I think I would be exactly like this guy. I think I would like try, I would be like, Oh my god, I need to do this and I would like take the scalpel up to my eye, but then I'd be like, you know, what the fuck am I doing? I can't do this, and I would just like give up immediately, probably, which is what he does.
1: I really don't know what I would do in this situation, and thankfully I never will have to consider it. Then right. we immediately cut to Donny douchebag, uh, detective Donnie douchebag, <laughs> and Donny Wahlberg,
0: Miss Mister No Eyebrows. He, <laughs> he is like he has no eyebrows, and it's very upsetting.
1: Him and his brother Mark, man, they can really play the fine line of just like the in real life. For people that don't know, detectives, and this is no disrespect to my father, who was a retired murder detective. Right, for detectives really can walk the line of douchebag and Donnie Wahlberg pulls it off miraculously.
0: I don't think this has been said too often. This movie rests on Donnie Wahlberg's shoulders.
1: He is the centerpiece.
0: I think he's actually amazing in this movie and I'm not being ironic. I remember the first movie I ever saw him in was dead silence. And all I kind of like, I knew who Mark Wahlberg was and I knew this guy shows up. He looks like Mark Wahlberg, but just uglier. You know, and I saw the name Donnie Wahlberg in the credits. I'm like, oh, it's it's uh, it's Mark Wahlberg's brother. And I was just like, he's just kind of fun because it's like, you know, it's like when Frank Stallone pops up in a movie, like to see someone's someone who's wildly successful, their far less successful sibling, you know, like Eric Roberts <coughs> to Julia Roberts, although <laughs> well, Eric Roberts was around long before Julia was, but something like that.
1: But has Julia Roberts ever been in a movie that broke a billion in the box office like Eric Roberts? I don't think so.
0: What's Eric Robertson? Dark Knight. Oh the, oh, the Dark Knight. Okay, I I knew he did something. To Nolan. What? Who is he in the Dark Knight? He, he's got to have like two lines. He's right? like
1: a. Uh, uh, is he like? He's like a criminal, like a mobster, I believe.
0: Yeah, I, I have vague recollections of that.
1: Very vague. Same. Very vague recollections of it. He's
0: he's like still doing like direct to video David Dakota movies too. That Eric Roberts. What a weird career. Shout
1: out to him. That...
0: Because he'll he'll appear in the occasional big legitimate movie but then he also just never seems to say no to any trash that's offered to him
1: he's gotta get his bag on
0: yeah exactly <laughs> but anyways like the um the donnie Wahlberg factor here i mean he's killing it it's a joke because it's because it's donnie Wahlberg. he is legitimately very good in this movie i don't know overall if i would call him a good actor i've really only seen him in a couple of the saw movies and in dead silence but he is so good here. He's great at yelling. He's very angry all the time, but he, I think he plays his role so well.
1: He does. He's he's great. Him and his brother can play they can either play criminals really well or they can play cops really well, douchebags really well. Maybe it's a Boston thing.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a Boston thing. I also think just I don't think Mark Wahlberg is a great actor. I haven't seen no, not at all. too many movies where he really impresses me. Like The Departed he's good, but I think I think he's just really good at
1: yelling. One movie he doesn't yell in that he's really good in is the happening with M. Knight oh. I like that movie a
0: lot <laughs> he just has the same blank confused expression the entire time
1: <laughs> I would just love to see more literature in the world about why actors are really good at either playing cops or criminals and we need to understand that these two things are the same we need to oh, we sure. need to understand that a society we're not there yet. They show it to us. They put it in our faces. But we haven't yet connected that they are one and the same. But Donnie's degenerate son, I think he shoplifted or something. He stole something. And Donnie goes and picks up his son. They have a little argument on the pier. Son's saying, you're a shitty dad. He's yelling at his son, go live with your mother. The kid's, like, hurt that his dad that he just called shitty is basically kicking him out. You can tell that the family there's a lot of beef there and that father son relationship is going to be central to the storyline of saw two
0: there's kind of two stories of fatherhood going on here we don't really see the other one until way later and it's kind of a twist but yeah i think like we only get this one scene here with the two of them and it's it's one note you know it's but you you see this just like it's not just that Donnie Wahlberg's an asshole. It's not just that he's yelling and screaming at his son. Like, I, I get from this scene that there's, like, a genuine pain there. And it's not just anger for the sake of anger. There's, like, a pain in, like, how things have kind of not worked out, I guess. I don't know. I, I just I love this performance from Wahlberg, and I'm not going to apologize for it.
1: And then we uh, maybe I should we jump forward a little bit, and, uh, you know, Donnie gets a phone call. And he thinks it's his son and it's like an aggressive, he answers aggressively and his tone switches up and he you know, he starts kissing the boot because he realizes it's his boss coming, calling. And then uh, it reveals that the guy that gets killed in the beginning with the medieval face mask of death.
0: The, the Venus flytrap is what Billy calls it.
1: Uh, that is the, uh, he was an informant to Donnie. So that really sets the tone for the rat snitch untrustworthy kind of guy. And Donnie,
0: yeah, I guess that's true. We don't, we don't.
1: Donnie just dis, Donnie dismisses him as a person. They're like, uh, who would want to do this thing to him? And he's just like, who wouldn't? He's an informant type of shit. Like, yeah. he's not my friend. <laughs> like, like couldn't even say one nice thing about this guy and his in, in his death. Just fucked up douchebag. Like, just douchebag stuff. Jigsaw, the person, he is arrested. He's arrested, and he specifically asked for Donnie, who is Detective Matthews. But I'm just gonna keep calling him Donnie because. I see him.
0: Eric Matthews is the character's name, but yes. Yeah,
1: uh, and he's he's shocked. He's like, why does this guy, Jigsaw, want to call me? What's up with this? And he goes to see what's up. And Jigsaw, the old white man, reveals that he's got got eight people trapped in a house somewhere, including Donnie's son, and he's all Mm -hmm. hooked up to, like, fucking, uh, what is that thing? Like, IVs, and he's sick.
0: Yeah, because um, we learned this in the first movie that John Kramer Jigsaw has cancer. It eventually in the series gets very muddled of what his motivation is, but you know he wants to make others appreciate life, and I think there's at least an implication there that it's like, oh, it's because he doesn't have much time left. Yeah, he's dying, and and that's that's perfect because that like eventually Donnie Wahlberg and all these cops like threaten him and they threaten him with like physical violence, and he's like. Listen, I'm dying of cancer. Do you really think you can put me in more pain than I'm already in? It's like so so it's great because he can't like give in to their intimidation tactics in any way and it's just great. And this is this is obviously it's Tobin Bell playing John Kramer. This is the most screen time of the Saw movies of, of John Kramer. I think there might be a little bit more in Saw 3. I think there's a little bit less in Saw 3. Uh, because he's like having seizures in Saw 3 and he's kind of like out for some of that movie. But the movie excels with Tobin Bell on screen because he's so good at this character. He's so great. The character is interesting. His motivation's more than a little whack. You know, it's not like a perfect character in terms of like um, the writing, but I think Tobin Bell embodies it so perfectly. And just the first movie, it, it, comes out the whole thing was it's a mystery killer you know we don't know who the killer is until the very end and it's revealed that this guy that was lying down in a pool of blood that we thought was dead is the killer so it's like how do you continue the series with that if that guy is your villain and it's like okay here they had to figure out a way to make him one of the main characters and it's kind of like i would compare it to like friday the 13th part 2 you're making a sequel to Friday the 13th, the killer dies in that movie, and your sequel is the son of the killer that we see in one scene in the first movie that's like basically a dream, that's like the twist-ending dream of the first movie. It's like, yeah, he's the killer now. It's like, they forged their own path, and I <laughs> I think it works, and it's obviously it sets the tone for the rest of the series, and you know, they, they struck gold with Tobin Bell here. He's really good.
1: He is really good. He is really good. So he's got these uh, eight people in the house, cameras, no sound, so he can't know what they're saying. And uh, the people wake up, I guess they've been drugged of sorts, and they wake up and there's a little funny banter that you have to, no disrespect to people who have not attended college, but you have to attend college to to really get the joke when they're like, like, what the hell's going on? You ever woke up in a place and not know where you've been? And the guy's like, yeah, I have in college. (laughs) It's like it's like damn dude like it's a ridiculous line you just like woke up drugged in a house with strangers and you're comparing it to the college experience (laughs) like
0: what was i maybe he was on a lacrosse team who knows oh Um, man i like this scene because this is (laughs) this is where we cut to you know there's two plots in this movie and this is how most of the saw movies proceed there's the investigation plot and then there's the plot of the people in the main game and i like this first scene of where we're following the people in the game Because it sets up the characters really well. Because if you think about it, we've got... I wasn't even sure how many. You said eight. I'll take your word for it. We've got eight characters. We have to, like, kind of immediately show that they're all a little different. Even though they obviously have something in common. Because he's Jigsaw and he's, you know, there's an endgame in sight here. But we see right away, like, okay, there's this one guy who's hot-headed, his name's Xavier, and he's, like, just an asshole. He's shit. Like, so we kind of, we see what his deal is right away. It, it's mentioned that he went to prison. It's, you know, everyone here except for Matthews' son has been to prison, and Matthews' son probably would be in prison were his dad not a cop, or, you know, at least in juvie. You know, we we see with the other characters, there's the black guy who's, um, what was his name?
1: I don't know. <laughs>
0: okay, I don't remember his name, but he's very clearly, like, the mediator type he's trying to resolve conflicts within the group he's the one really trying to figure things out then we've got kind of the goofball who's the one who comments on you know waking up in, in college not knowing where he is like he's there's not much to him spoilers he's the first to he's go the first so, like, to we go don't need to spend too much time on him then there's the blonde woman who's just like kind of panicky the entire time and just crying and then there's the almost the skinhead guy His name is Abby, and he kind of stays really far back and doesn't say anything to anybody. And that pays off later because we see what's going on with him. And then we also have Amanda, who is a repeat character. She was the one in the reverse bear trap in the most famous scene in the original movie. She's back, and and when she comes to, she's the last to come to, but she's the one who is able to, like, figure things out more than the others because she's gone through this before. She she sort of knows what the deal is, and that makes the others kind of suspicious about her when she finds the um tape and the tape player. But she's got this, like, take-charge personality thing because she's been there before. And I think in this scene, you know, this five-minute scene or whatever, I think it does a really good job of establishing these characters. You know, they're not deep it's not complicated they're no more developed than they need to be for a movie like this but I think it's really well done
1: oh uh, yeah and the black guy's name is Jonas Jonas
0: Jonas well, That does not sound familiar but I'll take your word for so it. so this fake ass
1: Riddler because as I'm watching this I had just watched the the new Batman trailer uh probably a few hours to days before probably watched it a lot because I love Rob Pattinson. and I'm just really yeah, like, J- right, J- right. jigsaw is just like just like Riddler with his salvation if you earn it and the way that he speaks is coming off like things hidden in plain sight Yeah, like very 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 riddler like and uh they have a note they find a note with a key inside that says don't use this key on the door the guy does it anyway like you said he gets shot in the face he instantly dies i don't think these people have ever seen someone get shot in the face they were all surprisingly calm for what they had just witnessed that's fair (laughs) and i i I, I do appreciate that saw 2 has a lot of black actors like, a lot of the cops were black people, which uh, you don't really see that often. And I'm, Spyro went all the way, Book of Spiral. Well,
0: Spiral obviously, the main character. So many black I cops. I would say, generally speaking, the Saw series is pretty well diverse. Yes. Well, I think Saw 4, kind of the main guy we're following, is that black cop who we have here with Donnie Wahlberg, that guy. He's, like, kind of the main character in Saw 4. Yeah, it's a pretty diverse cast i think for the most part
1: yeah jigsaw has an equal opportunity to want to hate and kill everyone so uh back in the real world and not in john kramer's fucked up house of eight people he's asking for alone time with detective matthews aka donnie and they give it to him (laughs) for some reason i don't think police procedure would ever allow that and uh,
0: I think it's I think it's explained in the plot. They, I think because, they're desperate. because Donnie Wahlberg's son is threatened, I I think it makes enough sense here. I'm okay with it. You're right. It doesn't follow police procedure, but I think they're also facing kind of little difficult circumstances, let's say.
1: And then uh, back in the house, the door opens on its own. So they're able to ex- start to... Ex- we should say, I'm sorry to cut you off
0: there, but we also got to point out that the whole thing is when they listen to the tape, Jigsaw tells them, that the, the house that they're locked in, the door will open in three hours. It's, the door is rigged to open in three hours. But they're breathing in a toxic gas that will kill them in two. And so that they've got to find out a way to get out or a way to find the antidotes that have been scattered throughout the house. So that's their, that's their game. That's
1: what they're after. The bullshit Machizimo guy tries to break down another fucking door. He kind of fails and looks pathetic and they... One of the hot chicks is just like, "Are you done with your bullshit machismo thing?" Like very directly. <laughs> and
0: oh yeah, that's probably the brunette woman. We didn't mention her. There's not because I was talking about how the that scene sets up their personalities. Well, I want to say the brunette woman probably the least set up in terms of her personality. She's just kind of normal. I feel like.
1: Yeah, and then the uh, the machismo Xavier has a great response. He's like, "There's a door between your legs," and it's just like the. <laughs> The black guy's just like, come on. (laughs) Let's let's calm down. He's like, like, what the fuck's good? Like, we just saw a guy get his head shot, and you're fucking making vagina jokes. (laughs) (laughs) There's a time and a place. Read the room.
0: Read the room, Xavier.
1: And then uh, there's the... uh, They find a dead body in the basement, and it's just, like, really weird shit going on. And then they they get to the room with the syringes. The syringe room, which was one of the best scenes i want to say
0: is this like the oven scene oh no well you okay you're skipping ahead well, you're right the, oven, the scene. oven
1: scene i forgot all about the oven scene
0: this is where abby steps up because the the um there's like a the note tells him to the note specifically singles him yes. out yes and this is the guy with the buzz cut. And they listen to the tape, and the tape mentions that this guy apparently has worked with Jigsaw and helped. He helps and capture, these other
1: people. And he's like, because I had to.
0: So everyone obviously like hates Abby at this point.
1: And that's when we learn the antidote is inside of syringes. Yes.
0: So he gets into this oven thing, and like a furnace of it source. closes, and he's. Yeah, Furnace. Furnace is better. And yeah, he he fries like a motherfucker.
1: It burns. They they hold just enough of the scene to make you uncomfortable. It's really well done. They try to like break the glass on the the door handle. I don't know what they thought was gonna happen. He like gets his head out, I think, and he still, you know, fucking fries. It's
0: it's yeah. a
1: really intense scene, but it's it's really well done. It's really well done.
0: But they, they also see, or I think he sees like right when the door closes that there was a a way to, he didn't realize it at the time, but there was a way for him to have gotten the antidote without the fire going off. And there was like this, um, thing that he was supposed to twist. I think there's, there's something like that. I, I don't really remember, but there's, this wasn't a complete death trap. There was a way he could have survived this, I guess is the point.
1: Yeah. So then they, uh. They reveal amanda reveals her addict behavior and how she passed her test of self-harm and all, but she started to self-harm again because of i guess depression which was always a terrible thing
0: well if you remember right in the in the um in the first saw movie like yeah she survives the reverse bear trap and they do have that interrogation scene and i think the Lethal Weapon guy was it? Danny Glover. Asked him like, "Does hey, does did that did it work? Did you like learn to appreciate your life from this? Which is like really weird. Like, why would a cop ask her that? Like, why why does the cop like almost side with the killer's philosophy here? But she she does say yes. She she does say that. But then also, if you think about it too, it's like. She had to kill somebody in order to survive. That was her trap. She had to find the key inside this, Her, I think it was her drug dealer's stomach or intestines or something. So she had to like cut him open while he was still alive. It's like, yeah, I could understand being completely messed up after that, you know, surviving that and just living with that on your conscience.
1: Yeah, so as they make their way to the next room, there's a giant pit of syringes and, you know, Jigsaw's like, there's a antidote down there like a needle in a haystack and xavier's
0: yeah and there's there's like a wall safe and this is specifically this is supposed to be xavier's challenge it's
1: supposed to be xavier's challenge but this piece of shit throws amanda in and oh it's disgusting it's hard to look at and she's
0: just this scene is very very hard she's to look just getting yeah, fucking
1: her whole body is just stabbed with fucking syringes i think they're all clean but that's not the fucking point uh, <laughs> oh yeah, exa- I mean
0: it's just painful, regardless her of them arms and legs sterile. and fucking
1: <laughs> just poking her, and yeah. she's just fucking fighting through and ripping through all of them trying to find this key, and it's like Jesus Christ, it's painful. But you know what? She does what she has to do. She gets she gets the she key. gets the key. At this point, my roommate, who just happened to be in the living room watching this movie with me, she goes, Jesus Christ, this is brutal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and I was like, yeah. This is
0: one of the hardest scenes to watch in the entire series, and it's not because there's a lot of other scenes that are bloodier or gorier, but there's just something about needles, man. I mean, I'm not one who... Yesterday, I got my booster, you know? And I mean, like, I can go and get a shot and not really have a problem with it, but there's, like, something about watching needles in movies and stuff. It's just, like uncomfortable Those they're just like so thin and long and it's just they just look wrong and then the way you see them just like hanging from her arms and stuff and
1: hands and it's just, ugh yeah and um then we have uh we have some uh she gets the key.
0: Oh, and a- after all of this, Xavier can't even get the key in the it, thing it doesn't, it, at, it, in the right time. <laughs> he still screws it up, even though he almost killed this woman to do it. It does
1: not happen in time. And then uh, we reveal we have Donnie Wahlberg having a cop breakdown, an emotional breakdown, as he's known to do, or as cops are known to do, throwing shit around. <laughs> and then we get the reveal that, you know, he's crooked and he's planting evidence he's a piece of shit
0: yeah jigsaw points out that every person who's in that room with the exception of his son has had evidence planted on them by this guy and and jigsaw is basically using that as like an extra layer of like hey you need to get your son out of there quickly because if they if they find out about your son's identity you know all hell could break loose and it's like oh my god yeah and then Oh man, it's tense. And then I love the the scenes with, um, Wahlberg and Tobin Bell too, because it's, they're sitting alone. There's like all these SWAT members, there's Dina Meyer and all these people, they're off in the back and they're like keeping an eye, but, he, but Jigsaw doesn't let them near, near them. And of course he does point out that he doesn't like going by Jigsaw. He says his name is John Kramer. The media just called him Jigsaw because he cut out the Jigsaw pieces. And he says that was his, like, he wasn't trying to be the jigsaw killer or anything. That was just his way of showing that they had something missing in them. Um, So we get a little bit of jigsaw lore, if you will. But this scene's really great because Mark Wahlberg, like, he he hides the walkie-talkie, but he has it on. And so they can hear what is going on in this conversation, even though they can't, all the other cops, even though they can't intervene in any way. And it's just, it's really tense. It's great.
1: Yeah, and then at this point, Xavier is having a full-blown mental breakdown. He's arguing with Jonas. They have a scuffle. You know, he murders him <laughs> straight up. <laughs>
0: and, oh, I guess, I guess we, we got to say something. There's a couple clues that we haven't pointed out. First of all, the whole thing was in, in this house, they said there's combination. There's this lock and there's combination. And Jigsaw on the tape said, you all know the combination. The numbers are in the back of your mind. That's key, and obviously you compared him to the Riddler earlier. That's a very Riddler kind of thing, and then also Jigsaw in you know not over a tape, not as Billy the Puppet, just in person speaking to Donnie Wahlberg. He says that don't worry, your son is in a safe place. That Jigsaw, he's a little. Um, I don't. I, I wouldn't call him a pun artist, but he's he's a he's a he's a wordsmith. He's he um understands his double meanings
1: yeah i mean he he does a he does a fine fine job i think he's he he, donnie and jigsaw they they they're the emotional core we're watching these other people get killed and make fools of themselves in this house but
0: i also i also like there's um more of it kind of develops later but i i like the little bond that um donnie Wahlberg's son who's who's we should probably say that character's name let me see what it is Daniel Matthews, the the kind of the relationship he has with Amanda, because Daniel's the only one. He's he's a teenager. He's you know what was he fifteen or sixteen? He um, doesn't look doesn't look fifteen or alt.
1: sixteen. Let's just put it out there.
0: What 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 do you think he looks like?
1: Well, more like I don't know, like 18, 19, like a college kid.
0: Okay, All but right. I take well, this
1: personally as someone who deals with you know fourteen through sure. eighteen year olds every day.
0: Speaking of which, did you know that this you're a big Scream fan? Do you recognize this actor?
1: Is he in Scream 4?
0: He is in Scream Holy 4. Shit. He's the guy who live-streams yes. high school. Yes, wow,
1: wow, <laughs> yes, yes, that
0: is him. He's the guy, he's like constantly walking around with like a GoPro. But I'm like gay! Thing. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, I just had to point that out. I wasn't sure if you knew that or not, but I know you're a big Scream fan. love Scream. Yeah, this, but I like the relationship he kind of has with Amanda because Amanda, as the person who has been through a jigsaw test, a jigsaw game before, she's kind of approaching approaching things the most rationally, the most cool. But she also kind of like looking at this kid, seeing that he's incredibly vulnerable, has no idea what he's doing. At this point, the only other two male characters left are like constantly at each other even though the black guy is trying to be the peacemaker like xavier is being just a complete jackass and it's like this guy could fly off the fly off the handle at any moment and kill someone maybe but like amanda's trying to almost like protect daniel and i think that kind that relation i wouldn't say it's like the core of the movie but i think that you know it's it's not like these characters are just cannon fodder i think there's a little bit going on there
1: and then laura dies is that the brunette? Yes.
0: And then this is when... She's trying to get the syringe from this, like, box of... This, like, glass box that she has to stick her hands in, but then she gets her hands stuck in there, and it's, like, this really sharp metal thing, and she, guys I guess, just gets stuck there until she dies of blood loss or something. It's kind of messed up. It's, it's not easy to watch. No, that's...
1: Addison is the one who puts her hand in the...
0: Oh, okay. So the other one, she just she kind of just dies, dies from the the, from, the blonde woman just kind of dies from the gas. She must, yeah, that's right. She has right.
1: a weak immune system, and this around this is around the time when Xavier notices that they have the numbers for the safe on the back of their necks.
0: Yeah, he he sees that on the um... Gus's
1: neck. So uh, now that Xavier knows this, he's really just out to collect, essentially, right. <laughs> literally just going around to collect. Like he, mm-hmm. he sees Addison with her arms stuck in there, could help her maybe, or maybe he could just be nice to her instead. He just checks her fucking shit and pieces out, no comforting words, yeah, no even like uh, hope you're well or a mercy kill, just like, just like nothing. <laughs>
0: what's, yeah? What's he gonna What's he gonna say? No, yeah, guess, but just yeah. like
1: takes it and keeps on going. And uh, Amanda and Daniel find the tunnel to the bathroom from the first movie, I believe. It was a nice little throwback. I enjoyed seeing the original room. I enjoyed knowing, like, oh, shit, so Jigsaw's really got this place booming for all sorts of purposes. I would never would have guessed. Yeah, how
0: big do you think this murder estate is? I don't know. Like, you know we're talking, like, like, how many dozens, acres. Of, dozens of
1: rooms. It's,
0: like, a giant warehouse somewhere, I guess. Well, it's, it's but it's a house. There's There's a house part of it. It's, like, too, a house so in a warehouse. It's, it's an actual house. I guess so. Yeah, it really doesn't make sense, and I guess it's good that we never really see it from the outside because we wouldn't really be able to make sense of it.
1: Xavier finds them. Amanda's talking shit. Like, I don't even really remember what she said to him, but she makes fun of him to the point that uh, he cuts his own number off his own neck to, like, I guess, prove a point. Oh, yeah,
0: she, she she says that, like, oh, listen, you know, even if you get our numbers, like, it won't be any good because we won't give you
1: yours. Yeah. And so that's why he
0: literally cuts it off the back of his neck.
1: He's unfucking hinged. This guy's unfucking hinged.
0: This is where we get our like saw montage with this. This is with the um hello Zep theme playing the Charlie Clouser theme, which super underrated, great theme song for a horror series. But that's playing, and we see like all this, all these like crazy quick cuts to like stuff that's happened earlier in the movie. Also, at this point, we got to point out that this is the point of the film when. You know, looking at the monitors and seeing what's going on, Donnie Wahlberg is really starting to panic. And so he starts really, really threatening Jigsaw. And he's like, hey, take me to this warehouse or to this house, I guess. So he sneaks out with Jigsaw and Jigsaw's coughed and everything, but they're driving. And then also the SWAT team, they're able to track where the cameras are coming from finally. So they head out towards the building. But then we find out that they're in two different buildings because the SWAT team has traced the um, the source of the tape to a room where things are being played on VCRs. And meanwhile, like Donnie Wahlberg has found the actual house.
1: It was a nice little twist. Mm-hmm. And obviously we're
0: not done with twists yet because this is a Saw
1: film. Correct, correct, correct. So then uh, Xavier's doing his fucking crazy man, cutting off the... Number on the neck, and he's about to move in for the kill. A man, Daniel, takes the saw—I guess the original saw from the first movie—and slashes this motherfucker's throat open.
0: Yeah, the the very saw that Carrie was used to cut off his own foot.
1: Yeah. In the meantime, you know, before Donnie figures out where he's going, we have to we have to make it known that he beats the shit out of Jigsaw, breaks his fingers. Police brutality. Yeah. It's terrible stuff. Oh, big time. Big time. Big time. And it's i uh, I've never seen someone's finger be broken like this, and I hope I never do. It looks incredibly fucked up and painful. Brutal stuff. There's so many brutal things that we see and saw, too, repeatedly. And, like, it's kind of crazy yeah. that the headshot is maybe the least brutal thing we see.
0: Well, it's quick, at least. You know, it's it's very brutal, but it's quick. A lot of the other stuff takes a little longer. I, I'll actually say the least brutal scene of violence we have, I would say, is the opening scene. When the... um trap closes on that guy's head just because you don't see that much i mean it's violent when he's like almost cutting his eye open but it's like when the actual trap closes there's just like a little blood that comes out like the mouth but you don't see anything otherwise you know that's that's as uh restrained as this movie gets i guess
1: they wanted to start slow i guess yeah then it went very unhinged so they show up to the wrong house Uh, They're not where Detective Matthews, a.k.a. Donnie is, because Donnie, he's walking around looking for something, and then he's attacked by the pig mask, knocked out.
0: We waited a long time to bring that pig mask back. It was a big part of the first movie.
1: When we reveal that it's been happening days ago, the son, uh, Matthew... No, not Matthew. What's this kid's name? Daniel. Daniel. Daniel, uh...
0: Matthews is the last name. Yes,
1: Daniel is revealed to be... He was in the room... With jigsaw and the cops the whole time in a fucking safe with like an oxygen tank.
0: Right, because he's in a safe. But space. did he
1: have water? How did that work?
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, listen. This is it's it's a saw movie. It's not. <laughs> you know, this is, there's certain things that are going to be a little you know muddled, a little unexplained. Another
1: twist, and yet there's still more. There is still another one. It doesn't end there. So Donnie wakes up in the bathroom shackled. We're having flashbacks to the first film, and the tape...
0: His gun is just out of reach. He can't reach Just out of reach. If he had a Giannis wingspan, he brings that gun in easily, you know?
1: Easily. Easily. And he hits the, he hits the tape recorder, and then we learn that Amanda has become Kramer's new accomplice, and she set up...
0: Apprentice is is I believe that because I think Abby is an accomplice. You're right. Apprentice is a more prestigious honor. We got to point that out. That is
1: actually very, very, very true.
0: It's a big part of the Saw mythos. The the Jigsaw Apprentice. There's been so many of them in the series. You you forget. You lose track of how many there are because at a certain point in the series, every twist is just there was a new apprentice. You know, that's like because they ran out of ideas at a certain point. The cult
1: of Jigsaw, (laughs) one might say. But she's, yeah, uh, she's got to take up the work when John dies. He's got cancer. This work has to keep going. Uh, she shows up. Uh, he's looking at her, you know, screaming. And then she, once again, we have once again sealed the door as the person's game over. Line screams again, screams to be let out. And then the new metal is just fucking ripping through. And you're like, holy shit! So many people just died. And this is a really short film. <laughs> this is not happens very quickly
0: it's like an hour 38 something like that. i mean it's not it's not like it's not like it's listed as 93 minutes according to wikipedia i guess so it's a little over an hour and a half i guess yeah it's a pretty short yeah
1: if you're counting the credits it's like it's probably 88 minute runtime and like it doesn't wear it, it comes and it goes and it's just the length is perfect Maybe you could have developed the characters more, the eight people in the house, but honestly, who gives a shit? They were going to die anyway.
0: (laughs) I I think that was sufficient. I think they did exactly what they needed to do with those characters. I think Xavier, not a lot of depth to him, but the point is he's an intimidating secondary villain, and I think he works as that. I like Jonas as this um, mediating force, who I don't even remember if we talked about when he died, but getting the bat with the spikes on it to the to the back of his head that's brutal and then yeah the i I think that all the stuff with the characters in there is good enough i'll say that
1: and maybe i'll go watch saw 3 sometime soon
0: well yeah so because saw 3 is the first three saw movies are a true trilogy at a certain point after saw 3 it's kind of like it kind of felt i mean to a certain extent all the saw sequels they're making things up as they go along but the first three at least feel truly connected. They feel almost as if they could have been thought out with the first movie, whereas like the other ones after, it's just like a complete shit show and just like, yeah, we're, we, we we want to kill people. Here's how we're going to do it. The plot doesn't really matter. The first three Saw movies are kind of like the original Star Wars trilogy, where they weren't. it wasn't necessarily planned out as a trilogy, but you would almost be forgiven for not knowing that because if you watch those three movies, they kind of play well together and it's like oh okay i can kind of see how this makes sense with that all the saw movies after that are like the recent star wars trilogy where nothing was planned out and they just fly by the seat of their pants that's how i would compare the saw series to star wars i guess
1: star wars man it's
0: everywhere we can't escape it i've been trying even in our saw 2 discussion so josh what did you think of saw 2 overall
1: saw 2 overall solid solid flick Perfect two thousand five
0: time capsule. That I enjoy that about the Saw movies. They're very. I didn't see these movies when they came out, but they're very emblematic of that period in time. That I think it was junior high for us, right? Sixth, seventh grade, probably. This movie. Yep,
1: it's a good watch. I watched it on a Saturday night. I enjoyed the fact that it made my roommate uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable. <laughs> yep, but like not in a terrible way. Uh, my, my, my only critique, I would say, honestly, is so much green.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. At a certain point, and again, this is something I'm, I'm going to talk about, The again, the sequels, the series overall again. I think that aesthetic works really well for like the first Saw movie because it has a unique look, and that's what that movie is. And it's a low-budget movie, so they couldn't really make it look that great, honestly, if they wanted to. And then it's like Saw to okay, it's more of the same. And then it's kind of like, for a while, all the sequels are like that, and it's like, okay, they, 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 there's a sameness to them that gets tiring. I think grungy, industrial aesthetic gets tiring after a while. Very green, very ugly. Intentionally ugly, granted. Yeah, it, it's not really my bag either, I guess.
1: Yeah, definitely
0: not. That having been said, though, I I do like this movie. I don't think it's as good as the first Saw. I I don't think it's as good a script. I think the twists are good enough. They're not as good as the original twist, obviously. And the plot just, it's not as... I'm going to use the word polished here, which is weird, because I think the first Saw movie is a very unpolished movie. I think it's a very messy movie in a lot of ways, but I think that script is very very good and it's just like it's the movie succeeds on the strength of its premise and it's like a high concept thing and then like Saw 2 it, it's just another one of that and I think it's a good version of that I think this is the best Saw sequel for whatever that's worth I think it's but it's just it's it's not as compelling I guess the second time around and it's not it's it's a <laughs> going back to the opening credits it's a film by Darren Lynn Bousman <laughs> and just just how far can you go with a film by darren lynn bousman like I don't, he's not an awful director but i don't know this is probably his best movie and you know it's he's repo the genetic opera has promise but is kind of a disgusting film to look at and i didn't really enjoy it that much saw three okay spiral probably his second best film that i've seen but yeah maybe his talent is in haunted houses i don't know But yeah, it's a decent movie. I I think the, the character stuff that really works with, I like it fleshes out Jigsaw in an interesting way. Tobin Bell is just pitch perfect in the role. He really knows what he's doing. He brings a lot to the table. And Donnie Wahlberg too. I think those two performances really guide this movie because so much of the movie is just those two talking to each other. And it's these intense discussions where Donnie Wahlberg is fighting his desire to just beat the ever-living shit out of this old man, like, you can just see it on his face, he's just trying to control himself, and meanwhile, Jigsaw over there is being smug as hell, almost joking with him, I mean, even the, like, the, your son's in a safe space, like, he, he knows, like, what he's doing, he, he, uh, set up a voicemail on Donnie Wahlberg's son's phone, even, like, he's having fun with this, and he just loves that he's, like, uh, torturing this um asshole detective guy and I, I just love those i love those two together you know jigsaw is a hundred percent in control which is weird because he's obviously cuffed and eventually beaten severely but he's he knows what he's doing he's completely in control and i like that it's it's a fun dynamic to watch those two with
1: yeah i agree i agree was the syringe scene it's just in my head oh yeah it's got me trapped
0: it's a good movie not perfect it has its issues it's a Saw sequel, but, it, you know, as far as Saw sequels go, it's pretty good. Yeah. So, Josh, which of these
1: two movies do you prefer? Um, I don't know. It's tough. It's close. I like them maybe both the same amount. Gun to your head. Which one are you picking? I'm going to watch Saw 2 because it's shorter.
0: <laughs> the the, the time-efficient response. Okay. I am going, even though I do like Saw 2, for me, this is a no contest. I am a huge Deep Red fan. It is one of my favorite films of all time. I don't think I praised it enough. It's so Hitchcockian. I mean, we're coming off of a mid-season hiatus with this episode, but the, uh, two of like the last couple of episodes we did were on Body Double, which was kind of a Hitchcock homage almost, or like a modernization of Hitchcock by Brian De Palma. And then the, just the week after that, we did Psycho, which is obviously a Hitchcock film. And I think Deep Red holds its own with those movies. I think it's I think it's a better movie than Body Double even, which I really like a lot too. So, it's not quite as good as Psycho, but I think the the Hitchcock influence is there. It's he it's super suspenseful and and it's beautifully shot and and it's so stylized and it's neat and it's beautiful to look at. And it's scary and disturbing you know in different maybe different ways than saw 2 is but i overall i just find it much more enjoyable i could watch deep red any day and i really should watch it every christmas because why the hell not
1: (laughs) yeah i think
0: i might too josh how do you think this works as a drive-in double feature i think
1: it works pretty solid
0: okay why so
1: they're both solid movies and that helps that's the good first step and, uh,
0: yeah, yes, that's true, and that's, obviously you're referencing The House by the Cemetery, by by your intonation there, I, I know, which you hated that movie. Yeah, um not great. Which we paired with the original Halloween, which is a masterpiece, obviously.
1: And uh, I know that, uh, well, I like that, I should say. There's more of a murder mystery going on in Deep Red, as opposed to Saw. I know who the bad guy is, I know... We have one where the cops don't do shit. We have one where the cops are completely involved the whole time. There's a lot of kills and a... Sh- but also
0: ultimately can't do shit. That's kind of the point of Saw That's also
1: <laughs> true. That is true. It's a good double header It's probably my favorite one that I've done for the cat.
0: All right. Good to hear. Yeah, I'm going to say this is a very good double feature. I think I'm just right off the bat going to say... This is the most violent double feature we've done on this podcast. Not just you and me, but just anybody on this podcast, me and Jim. I still think House by the Cemetery is the most violent movie we've covered, but Saw 2 and Deep Red together, Those might these might be our second and third most violent movies or our second and fourth most violent movies or something, so there's a commonality there with these films you have to stomach a bit of gore to watch either of these, perhaps, but as long as you are okay with that, I think you you could do far worse in watching gore films. And I like the kind of the slow moving tension of Deep Red versus the fast moving industrial, you know, quick editing, frantic energy of kind of that thriller of Saw Two. And but but I will say, and then even because the, the movies have such a huge aesthetic difference in that deep red, very colorful, very beautiful. Saw two very ugly, very green. I would probably reverse these movies. I would probably start on the darker, uglier one and finish on the colorful one, just because I think there's more there's more visually with deep red to keep you engaged than there is with Saw two. I mean, that's how I did it. Oh, is it okay? <laughs> I'll watch Saw two. Yeah, that's that's probably how I would do it going forward. But I agree, good double feature either way. I just think it'd be a little bit better if we reversed the two films and did Saw II first.
1: I'm Glad I could take that journey for you.
0: Well, thanks very much for joining me, Josh. Audience, thank you for joining us this time. Please join us next week as Jim returns and we cover Goldfinger from 1964 as well as. Takashi Miike's Dead or Alive from 1999, so an action-packed double feature. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Drive-In Podcast. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Revenge of the drive There you will find commentary tracks on films such as Dr. No, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, Freddy vs. Jason, and, and other similar films, as well as early access to episodes and trailers. So be sure to check that out, and We'll see you next time.
1: Thanks for uh, listening, good folks. And thanks for having me, Patrick.
0: All right. Peace out.
1: Peace.